and welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. <gasps> we're your hosts, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we're the Dice Men of The Dice Men Are Screaming. And we are screaming. That was a good one. Like oh, that. well, thank you. And, and you know, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for the bailout. Uh, you know, we're, we're a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. Uh, getting here, and it, it's all my fault. It's... I, I promise you that it was nothing of terrible consequence. Uh, <laughs> well, although I, I will say that if you're ever at the uh, casino and you you see the corporate water sculpture there, and it's got a little little rope around it, you know, let's talk about boundaries here. Apparently, they they take those boundaries pretty seriously. Oh man! Yeah, and the other lesson, the other big takeaway was that it still isn't considered a urinal if you hurl several urinal cakes into it while chanting in Latin. So, yeah. It was a pretty exciting time, though. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, here we are. Uh, late, but uh, we're with you nonetheless. Uh, hope you enjoyed your day off from us on Tuesday. Uh, we're coming at you with some topic today. Uh, I think you'll like it. Again, we're taking a little bit of a retrospective into D&D's past, but uh, hopefully you'll stick around for that. Oh, yeah, and a much beloved past, a past that we've, we've actually done playthroughs on and have some very fond memories of. So we're, we're going to hit the big notes on a particular series. Yeah, exactly. We'll keep you in stitches, but, uh, you know, you can expect no less from... <laughs> Oh, 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 the watered-down ale of gaming podcasts. Oh, old gray hockey and old gray hockey light. Yeah, when you can't afford the real stuff. Yeah, <laughs> watered-down light beer. Wow, you really know where to hit me where I live. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's not the, the upturned mead mug. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, the, the worst mead of all is the mead you spilled. Yeah, um... Uh, shout out to a few of the peeps on uh, Twitter who's been following me about uh, doing some solo adventuring with Lone Wolf, uh, doing the Fighting Fantasy, uh, Joe Denver, and Jack Chalk, I think. Uh, I can't remember the other author's name, but Jack uh, Chalker. No, 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 he wasn't. Uh, no. Yeah, they were uh, Lone Wolf. Been. Uh, I'm going to get back into that. Uh, I had a couple things t- keeping me away, and I did some Call of Cthulhu today. Headshots for the win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to think about uh, doing a little post-by-post uh, post on those. So let me know what you think uh, on Twitter. Um, and also to you, Joe Richter, uh, you asked about uh, Against the Flames solo adventure for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, Ooh. that's available as a free PDF download on Chaosium's site, so you can take advantage of that and have some fun with it. It's pretty good. Ah. Yeah, so here's a little bit of solo adventuring, you know, when you have some downtime. It was a rainy day and... Yeah, that lawn ain't gonna mow itself. But when, uh, when you're you're missing the whole team, and yeah, you got some time and a friend. That's right. So uh, we're gonna take a quick pause for our advertisers, and we're gonna have a whole lot of topic and time to talk about it. So, which it's well worth it because uh, it's a meaty one. So we'll keep you in suspense for just a little bit longer. So stay with us. And we're back. So, thanks for sticking around. Uh, yeah, having to pay the bills there, do a little advertisement. But uh, getting into the topic, and tonight we're going to talk about Dragonlance. Oh, my goodness. And a fine topic it is, which this is one where, you know, I, it, for once we can equally chime in. Uh, we've been through much of that campaign 
uh, a long time ago as they were coming out module by module. We actually ran the whole thing a second time because we had had to take so many breaks waiting for modules to come out. Yep. Uh. <laughs> but we got some good games of Paranoia and Call of Cthulhu in during those times. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of gap filler. You know, lots of side games. Yeah, we even oh. did some Star Trek, the oh. role-playing game with that. Yeah, that's right. We did. Uh, and there was, you know, Gamma World and many another oh, yeah. uh, side yeah, campaign. Yeah, that was, uh, that was good taste. But, yeah, uh, Dragonlance. Okay, well, we're just going to throw it out there. You know, uh... Laura and Tracy Hickman came to TSR uh, to work around 82, and they had an idea to start a module series focused around each of the 12 types of dragons. And this was kind of coinciding with TSR wanting to kind of get out of the limelight of being the satanic uh, company that has demons and devils in it. And so they kind of came up with a unique concept of just putting dragons at the apex of good and evil, which they do well represent in uh, the AD&D game. Oh, absolutely. Pal- I mean, uh, Paladine, Bahamut, Tiamat, Tiamat, yeah, you know, they didn't rename her, but uh, Paladine got uh, a little reskinning because he was the Platinum Dragon. Oh, I thought that was Bahamut. I didn't have Bahamut in there. They just called oh. him Paladine. Oh, that's right, in the Dragonlance edition. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Darp. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and they did a good job, and, uh, you know, of course... Uh, those initial 12 modules, like we said, uh, they didn't come out all in a row. They were trying to keep up with everything, and it was a lot of investiture. But we're going to talk about that tonight, so uh, yeah. hang around. Uh, we're going to take on a rough ride on this one. Yeah, this, this is it's going to be a bumpy journey. Uh, there's some ups and some downs, but you know, a good time will be had by all. And uh, you know, We're, we're going to take you into the depths of Mordor, but don't worry. We will get you back to the Shire before it's over. Safe and sound. So... All right, Sam, let's go. Um, <laughs> got your bags packed? All right, so, yeah, Dragonlance, when it came out, uh, gave AD&D its first real alternate world. Yes, um, the world of Greyhawk had been around and Forgotten Realms was being hinted at in uh, the pages of Dragon, but here was a whole brand new world all on its own. Yes, the basic D&D guys, I hear you out there talking about the known world, but we're talking about the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons game. Uh, the known world was kind of kept, you know, Got to keep it in its own little place for basic D&D. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the basic expert uh, and uh, what was the... Yeah, the level? companion masters, but yeah. those would come a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, th- those were en route. But yeah, that was one well-established world. Uh, and then the second was Greyhawk. But comparatively yeah. early, this third... Yeah, and it was show- very divergent. Uh, the initially, out the gate, there are no gods or the... Clerics don't get spells, per se. Very limited ones, if they did. Yeah, but they're, you know, severely restricted, uh, mostly due to the gods having withdrawn. Yep, and, and the twin and cataclysms the, and all that. The proper worship of them has largely been forgotten, so the, the keys to unlock clerical spellcasting are absent. Yep, and you start the game uh, playing as the heroes of the Lance, or as they would later be known, playing Tannis and Flint, Caramon and Raceland, Sturm. Yeah, all the and, classics. Uh, Gold Moon and Riverwind. And, of course, who can't forget that Kender? I tried to forget him. Yeah, we all tried to forget him because they were basically licensed to steal. Yeah, born to steal your crap. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. Tasselhoff birth, just, what? Just, just, being, just being like the character in the books. But a nice, well-made and crafted... That's why my plate mail is in your backpack. 
He stole it right from you. I took, it, I took it five. I took it off five minutes. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to, you know, like use the restroom, come back, and my armor's gone. No, that that was one of the less enjoyable things. But the the books. Well, yeah, the characters were nicely created, and at first they were just presented in the first three modules. Uh, I can't remember. Crom cursed me for a fool, but I did not uh, fully memorize the exact uh, release dates of them. But the first three came out, I think, in that summer of 84. And uh, they uh, then coincided with the Dragons of Autumn Twilight, TSR's really first novel that they put out there. And it was written by uh, Tracy uh, Hickman and uh, Margaret Weiss, who uh, they... Uh, co-wrote the series with some inputs from other people around TSR from their initial play of the uh, first three or four modules. But then it kind of took a life of its own with almost like a movie. Uh, you know, you had all the uh, TSR artists in the bullpen creating stuff, and what did you say? Scale mail never looked so good? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, it's worth mentioning that uh, in Dragonlance, so many occasions involved fighting opponents... Uh, that ultimately led to you acquiring draconic scale mail. Uh, and, uh, frankly, the artistic representations of, like, a mixture of scale and plate were beautiful. They were incredibly well rendered, uh, and it kind of resurrected that armor. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's that middle ground between uh, chain mail and studded leather, you yeah, know, and it yeah. was never really that popular. Uh, all of a sudden... Yeah, it was looking pretty sharp. Yeah, you had so, you had a great cast of characters to start off with, so it was an enjoyable series. Uh, and then the novels came out, and they were quite the read. Now, um, you know, they came out in the three... Uh, what were the names? Um, let's see, Dragons of Autumn Twilight is easy to remember, but uh, there was something of the winter and then uh, summer glory. Um, yeah, basically a trilogy... Uh, well, yeah, that's not too original, but yeah, you know, oh, of course, sure. classic. But and look, there were lots of homages and nods. Okay, the I mean, if you've read uh, a large amount of science fiction and fantasy fiction, the speculative fiction category is rife with uh, heroic adventuring teams, and in most of them, you will find that there are archetypes. Uh, you know, whether it's you know Aragorn over there uh, doing his ranger thing. And Boromir, you know, really more of the straight-line fighter, uh, and pragmatist, <laughs> lured lured down the path to darkness. Uh, you know, there's there's usually somebody who is a magician. You know, uh, generally one that is really good at it, or one that is a rank apprentice. Uh, oh, they they covered all of the big bases: the the classic uh, healer, rogue, warrior. Uh. Well, yeah, they did that, but, you know, they invented new things. I was just talking about the trilogy as being, you know, oh, well, there was another book with the trilogy. I, well, and I, I know that the characters may have seemed like stock inclusions, like just... Oh, I would, know, I would, I would seem beg like to differ. Now, we, we, got, uh, we got a lot of mileage out of Raceland. I mean, boy, oh, there's still sure. people, you know, the emo mage. I want to oh, leave yeah. red robes, but actually I want to be a black magician and blow everything up with fireballs and resurrect the dead. Ah. And, yeah. You know, yeah, okay. But Raceland, very cool. And also the take on the test of mages. Was, Long before the Dark Sith were a thing, you know. Uh. Yeah, well, 
And, you know, the Test of the Mages was unique. Also, the Slamic Knights, upholders of the law and justice of the uh, gods. And you, during the course of the modules, you bring the gods back, and you also restore the Salamnic Order of the Knights, kind of uh, a little Star Wars Jedi kind of thing going on there, and oh, also yeah. get the Dragon Lances forged and start fighting back against these hordes of dragons. And flying citadels and a guy in dark plate mail... Yeah, you know, they borrowed from a great deal of stuff, and if it did seem a little uh, hackneyed or troped, uh, you know what, so much the better. Uh, but who doesn't well, borrow it, It's especially hackneyed and, and steal. now, you know. Well, yes. But at the time, uh, somebody had finally taken a, a spin, and a lot of the things that we uh, take for granted now were comparatively fresh at the time. They, they just hadn't been overdone to the same degree that they are now. So uh, there's a certain reason to accept that these were popular with just cause. Uh, the books and the modules, but especially the books had yeah, surprisingly the the, powerful sales. Yeah, the books really drove it, and uh, the modules were fun to play. I mean, because... Well, well, especially were, the early ones. The, yeah. The, like, the first six or eight were fantastic. Yeah, the maps in those were just awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, the ruins of Zach's Sothoth, as I recall, mm. with the gully dwarves in there and having to sneak <laughs> around all the draconian armies in the second one. Man, that was that was some good stuff, especially when you're playing Stern Brightblade. Oh, boy. Yeah, he, you know, not exactly Mr. Subtlety. No, uh, so but hey, I, I love the hell out of that character. But discretion is the better part of battle. I just sometimes. hated when I read in the books that he died, and I'm like, and, you know, Mike had to, like, pick me pick me up off the floor breathing from an oxygen mask. It's okay, Randy. You can still play Stern. Yeah, yeah. He did. You know, create your own story. And I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, write your own ending here, man. I did. You don't have to bite the dust. Well, when we got to Tiamat, I did, but that's all right. Well, yeah, but what a way to go. Okay, I mean, if you're going to go, that is totally the way to go. Yeah, so, you know, but the books told the story from just not a gaming perspective, but from an actual story. And this opened up a whole slew of new avenues for TSR. And I would gain to say that besides just the strength of uh, the Dragonlance setting in Kryn alone, that the novelization spurred TSR into new avenues of sales, which would, of course, support gaming as a whole. Now, some people can disagree with me, and there's some sharp criticisms out there about that TSR having its own brand led to subpar authors having access to audiences well beyond the range. Uh, all right. You know, I'm, I'm generally against griping on the Internet, uh, hindsight being 2020 and all that, like the, the backseat, you know, Monday, the, yeah. the Monday morning quarterback. Mm -hmm. I, I'm generally against that. i got to say there's some truth to that. The, there was a flood of books that came out. It's not just true of the D&D genre. Uh, at that time period, we saw the, the birth of the, you know, genre. Franchise. Yeah, the franchise book industry. Where, yeah. Uh, and look, it, it's done in a lot of fields outside of D&D. Okay, the Star Trek, the Star Wars, uh, Battletech, what have you. Anything. Anything and everything got its franchise treatment. And it's a two-edged sword. You're going to get some authors who, uh, frankly, aren't that great. And you're also going to get some artists who come in there and this is their magnum opus. This is their, their opening Yeah, you know, Elaine Cunningham, Troy Denning, who uh, uh, did write a good uh, series of novels and went on to write other 
uh, fantasy and science fiction, and then Ari Salvatore. Which is a perfect case in point that, look, the guy was a pretty darn good writer in his own right, but what are the odds? Do you, you What do you think were the odds that he would get his own original novel off the ground coming in as, like, guy who has published nothing from no one ever hands you an idea, I would love to do this. Uh, you get laughed out of the room, and that was just the way of the world. However, he showed up, displayed his chops with D&D module, or D&D yeah, you know, tales. Forgotten Realms, yeah. Uh, in the Forgotten Realms setting. And next thing you know, there's a guy with a lot of literary clout who gets terrific opportunities and can now do whatever it is that he feels like doing. I, I think it's absolutely a two-edged sword. So is there some justification to that? Okay, yeah, a little. You know, there was some, some really less than admirable material that got cranked out in the, the rush to grab a hold of every artistic property possible. But was it worth it? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, it, stuff for TSR, particularly what we're talking about in Dragonlance, yeah, it, it definitely was worth it. Tracy... Hickman and Margaret Weiss definitely showed that they could not only craft a series, but carry it all the way to its end, which is, uh, considering what they were working with, which was just the premise of modules and adventures that were already kind of open-ended and semi-scripted. Yes, they had a start and an yeah. end. They wanted you to get from point A to point B, but... Uh, they delivered the goods. They, they did it from their kind of style that also didn't give major spoilers, although probably the most profitable and... Uh, Path of Least Resistance was the one that uh, they highlighted through their stories. But we found that there were several ways while playing through it that you could do it differently. And we did uh, interject our own takes on it. So I think that there's something to say for how they were able to navigate that kind of complex interplay between what is an open gaming scenario with variable roots and paths to make their own kind of narrative from it. So it was kind of like reading a DM... Uh, journal or notes at the end of an adventure campaign. You know, players went here and they did this, but it was much more exciting and dynamic, and they developed several unique personalities. The twins, uh, Raceland and Caramon, were unique. Uh, Flint and the Kender were always good for a laugh and, uh, you know, often reminded you of those... The halfling and the uh, dwarf always uh, bickering back and forth. (laughs) And also opened up some introspects to half-elves that hadn't really been touched on. Which I think is a unique take on Tannis's. Yeah, uh, look, the groundwork was laid with Aragorn, having been raised among elves and being of a long-lived line of humans uh, that made him distant in many respects from the country of his origin. Uh, Much more attuned with the elvish world, and yet never ever going to be truly a part of it. Uh, And yeah. The antecedents were already in place in Tolkien's work, but they took it a little further. They, they piled more layers onto it. They, they addressed it more directly and made it a central facet of the character of Tannis Half-Elven uh, than ever uh, Tolkien did. I mean, it was almost a side note. It was a footnote in Tolkien that, you know, you, you kind of extrapolated it from the available data that, like, here's a guy who has got a foot in each world uh, and isn't quite truly at complete peace in either of them. Right. I, I liked that, and I think it was a terrific facet of 
that character. That but they explored it through the lens of D&D, and also I like the elves, Gilthanas and Lorana. Oh, I, um, I, and, I, gotta, I gotta touch on something that you just mentioned uh, a moment ago, too. Uh, a very worthy point is that the modules could differ in results from the books. That I really want to hit this keynote here. Yeah. Because that was smart writing on their part, okay? It's one thing to write a great batch of books, but if you present modules that are nothing but a straitjacket, now you can obviously have some ultimate conflicts that are kind of inevitable uh, and some ultimate goals that the players are aligned towards uh, and really should be focused on. But having the way in which it comes about uh, mutable and easily altered, that that was some good foresight for you know an early module series with a yeah. long-term campaign plot. They, they did a good job. They left the DM some wiggle room. You know? The only complaint I had for poor Mike, who was running it at the time, was he was running about 15 NPCs on the side. Now, oh. But he was very adept at switching them in and out. And uh, also, what it allowed us to do was take over, split the party up into subgroups um, and run a, other characters while others run uh, their main characters. Yeah, everybody had two characters, a primary and a secondary, and then I only had to pick up the, the slack three or four. Right, and we would play different Ooh. sessions. But... Master, you know, that he was a juggling various characters. Oh. But um, the other part was is that after the modules released, the novels were successful, as we've covered this. Let's focus back on the game. The campaign was well-structured to play after the War of the Lands to explore new passes. And there was so much new stuff in there. Like, for instance, you didn't have a whole lot of outsiders. Now, they did kind of have some type of outsider, but it wasn't your standard demon and devil. Dragons were acting on the behalf of that for the most part. But there were other things that were mysterious and new, like the Draconians, the armies of the dragons. Yeah, and let's not put too fine a point on it. Uh, the modern-day dragonborn are kind of the ancestor, you know, the, the yeah. distant ancestor of that first protean fusion of, like, humanoid dragon people uh, who you know, are leveled and classed and, you know, fighters and mages. And uh, that concept embedded itself and reemerged in later editions. Uh, it, but it has its origins in Dragonlance. So kudos to you, Dragonlance. There was something there that, that struck a chord. Yeah, and the various gods were well-maintained. Um, I liked uh, the difference between uh, Reorix the Creator who was primarily the ancestor god of the dwarves and gnomes, and uh, even the kender were kind of a mistake. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah we won't talk about that. Um, but yeah, you had a lot of different gods, and both of good and evil, just not Tachesis or Tiamat. That was oh, her yes, Tachesis. Yes, Tachesis, the, uh, the queen of hell. Um, you had a lot of good... Uh, material to work with as a DM. So, And it was a divergent campaign. And also, the initial shock of the dragons, like, you didn't know what they were, the dragon men, the draconians, you didn't know what they were going to do. Like, the Boz draconians, as soon as you killed them, they turned to stone and held your weapon fast unless you were able to pull it out quickly. Yeah, dirty pool. And if you're fighting more than one, I mean, if you've got the whole party bound up in this fight, uh, they might want to have some spare gear. And the first time you pulled that on a party 
Oh, the looks of shotguns. Like, what? And sometimes you'd kill the magic-using ones and they'd blow up. Oh, boy, it was all a bunch of stuff. So. Oh, yeah, the bombs, you know, just... Yeah, the magic-using leader dragons, the gold dragon kind of things. And these were all derived from corrupted dragon eggs. Which, again, you know, think of all the opponents in popular video games that you you stab away at it, and at the moment of its death, it explodes on you. Anybody got flare jungle flashbacks from Diablo 2? Okay, yeah, okay. That Again, we're talking an origin point here where some really innovative material made yeah, a Yeah, nobody knew it. You know, you weren't fighting your standard orcs. There were no orcs in there. There were goblins and hobgoblins. You master toad, of course. I hate you still. Oh. You did a great job of making us hate that guy. Who thought that 11 modules later, he'd still be around? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, everybody really wanted to get him. That yeah. was the guy you love to hate. Sneering, boot-licking little toad of a hobgoblin. <laughs> oh, cover my glorious retreat. Few master toad. <laughs> yeah, complete slime wad. Just every bit uh, Grimo worm tongue, but with... You know, more muscle backing him up. Yeah, and also the poison blade. Yeah. Dirty yeah. trick. Dirty tricks right to the end. You know, not one stitch of honor honor to be found anywhere in his presence. <laughs> so they had some good characters, but the world itself was well-developed and really lent itself to long-term campaign play with the Slamic Knights having to come out and, you know, reestablish order and keep the peace of the gods and all that. And the new clerics of the new, or, well, not new gods, but the returned gods. And so, you know, you had a lot of different missions than you normally would in your D&D campaign. You know, well, the Slamming Knights were, yeah, kind of kick-butt dudes who were keeping the peace. They also were a little different than a paladin. They had different codes of honor and different uh, terms of duty. Yeah, they, they more closely resembled the classical knighthoods of ancient Europe in yeah. the sense that while there were loosely agreed-upon standards of conduct that affected all... Uh, the specific interests, the spheres of influence yep. that were appropriate to their order differed uh, fairly radically in that they each had a role. You know, whether it was the Knights of the Rose yeah. uh, or what have you. My favorite one. Yeah, the the point was that much like those classical knightly orders, uh, they had obligations beyond themselves. Uh, they They had allegiance... Not really to a specific king, but to the order itself, and right. to the head of that order. Uh, and the upholding of those uh, vows that they had made were absolutely essential to their status. Yeah, and that's why they didn't have paladins in it. But the uh, Dragonlance hardcover would come out in 87 and give us a full treatment of the world and a glimpse within. And, of course, second edition would also, uh, with the excellent uh, Dragonlance box set for second edition, would really catapult it into its full scope. Unfortunately, uh, Hickman and Weiss would leave TSR under some less than savory circumstances. They wanted to do a new novelization, the Dark Sword Trilogy, and TSR wanted them to keep doing Dragonlance, and they kind of felt it like, hey, you know, it's uh, time to move on. But, um, you know, it, it did come back with their Sovereign Stone Press when Wizards of the Coast reacquired their... Uh, In due time, uh, you know. TSR, they... Uh, Gave them a, a license to publish Dragonlance under the Sovereign Stone game. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, Hickman and Weiss are still out there getting stronger every day. Yes. Uh, still publishing. Remain. And uh, Dragonlance is one of my favorites because 
I just like the world on its basis that it was alternative. You know, it was something different. I got to go off on a little something here, sure. which was, uh, you know, there are some critiques that are pretty legitimate of the novel era, the, the publishing house era of TSR. And, you know, I, I admit I'm in that camp. I'm a little curmudgeonly about it because it was like a license to print money at the beginning. Okay, they, they had some great moments where they struck uh, the big one. You know, it's the 49ers, the gold rush. Oh, you know, uh, north to Alaska, go north, the rush is on. And they just went nuts. Uh, I don't honestly blame them for that because if you're having a, like a niche market moment where you're trying to make sales and you would like to be selling a little more and it's difficult to break into other markets, and then all of a sudden you get this publishing house thing and it goes nuts. And it, it just really fills the coppers. And for the first time in a while, nobody's worried about money. There's a kind of natural logic that takes hold where you go, well, let's do what worked. And they stuck with it. The fatal flaw in that thinking was forgetting that you're a game company first. And you're a game company that successfully published some books. Good for you. Okay, that's terrific. 100% supportive of that. But there started to be a little bit of drift where it wandered into, you know, we're a book publishing company that also does some games on the side. Uh, once that kind of mentality took hold, the amount of emphasis and dedication given to the game makers started to wane a little bit. And at the same time that that waned, so did the company. Yeah, mm -hmm. it just, it was a critical mission fail. You know, they, they had a mission creep moment where, you know, they, they spread their wings a little too far, tried to soar up to the sun, and Icarus-like, their wings melted and down they came. So, yeah, it didn't work out so great in the end. I, I accept people's criticisms uh, on those grounds because I happen to share that. I, I yeah, that but, was... you know, when uh, the second edition came, Dragonlance seemed to be right, uh, rightly made for it. It wasn't that big of a transition. No. Uh, the mages were up three orders, the white, the red, and the uh, you know, black robes, of course. But And they were all tied to the moons. What, what was it, like seven moons or something around? Oh, my God, so many moons. Oh, yeah. I've never been mooned so much in and my so life. So you had to kind of keep track of them, see which one was ascendant, because that order became, you know, a little bit more powerful. And yeah, you might as well have an astrolabe right beside your DM screen. Yeah, man. Last time I was mooned that much, I was in a nudist colony. You got what you asked for when you got in there. So, <laughs> but I like that. I also like that uh, the scope of the adventure still was pretty much classic Dungeons and Dragons, kick down the door, take treasure, but there were so many new things to do, and it was the first real glimpse we got of the power of imagination outside of just the scope of the rules, where you could really take hold and make it your own. And so Kryn was unique in that, that it broke down barriers, I thought, and I also would dare say that with the advent of other uh, campaigns that were divergent of, of the rules, say like Dark Sun, which <clears throat> we'll be covering again. Um, oh, there yeah. was a uh, we will touch upon Dark Sun one of these days. It was shown that the D and D game system was versatile enough to hold more than just the basic tenets of what was in the Monster Manual. Oh, and absolutely. you didn't have to adhere to classic uh, lore or whatever you want to call the mismatch of AD and D 
cosmology or the planar theories. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for how Dragonlance or treat, and Kryn itself treated the player characters as heroes, putting you right in the center of action rather than murder hobos expecting to do sort of well by delving into holes. And you were given yeah. a you, little bit more epic quests. And I think that's an important part of that era from the Satanic Panic that we've covered earlier, that that was what they were trying to highlight. And I think Tracy Hickman uh, did a real good job of trying to promote that. Yeah, bringing about an era of epic adventure. Uh, the, the stuff that has the kind of narrative you would expect in a movie uh, or in a classic novel. And bringing that to the table to a greater degree. I'm not saying it was absent, okay? It was there, yeah. depending on whose table you were playing at. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of tables where it was pretty murder hobo-y right at the outset. Well, we were playing know? like six, seven years, you know. Yeah. We had some idea of how to do this stuff. I mean, we watched movies, but... Well, and I think we were uniquely lucky uh, to run across the group of people that we did at the exact moment we did. Uh, yep. You know, Mr. Alday uh, and... Jeremy Wiedig as Tass Offer, but... Uh, Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Brandt yep. uh, later on. Uh, it just, uh, and let's not forget Mr. Bunny. Uh, yep, uh, it's Caramon, the ox. And that chemistry where people kind of had the same picture in the head of where they, they wanted this campaign to go. Having a group of players who gets it. We were aiming for that epic gameplay instead of the murder hoboey way ahead of the curve, long before that was the popular narrative. And it just, it really flowed and connected really well. Uh, not every first gaming experience was like that. No. And I, I had to learn that years later. Like, what? Oh my gosh. Wow. Some of you, I, you boy, if it had been like that when I first played, I, I probably would have quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt bad for people. But hey, you know what? <clears throat> I've come far enough to realize that, like, every gaming experience is relatively, uh, you know, equal on its own merits. You know, right. it's, did you have a good time? You won. That's yep, all there was right. to it. But I also think, in closing about this, uh, as we wrap it up and take you back to the Shire and tuck you back into bed, that it's uh, worth mentioning. I don't think that uh, D&D would have quite been the same without Dragonlance, and you can take that as... Good or bad. Oh, absolutely. I think that it, um, you know, despite my uh, misgivings about Kender, I mean, they're nice for player characters, but when they're all like that, oh my gosh. (laughs) I also like the other uh, supplements for the other side of the world, which was uh, completely hands-off by the authors. Um, Taldus, I think it was. Oh, I had forgotten all about that. Yeah, they made a a whole uh, other place beyond the Blood Sea that uh, was playable with Minotaurs and all sorts of things. So it was yes. very unique and creative. Yes, I remember uh, the Minotaur races coming in as a, you know, much more involved uh, people, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, later comparisons with Klingons would be unfair because Klingons weren't like that then. These were more honor-bound uh, raiders who had their own sense of morality that was different than humans, but still they understood honor and their word. Yeah, that it was a... Rather unique treatment of the Minotaur. I, I thought it was interesting that they chose the Minotaur to be there. They also worshipped Tachesis. Yeah, they, they were, in fact, uh, you know, firmly in the chaotic and evil zone. Well, no, they were more lawful, but... but... They were hidebound yeah. with tradition, okay? The, the, Ritual. 
uh, very, you know, primitive tribal uh, conditions were in place that they could not uh, easily break away from. Yeah, that's that. how they settled disputes. So, you know, if you look at it from the aspect of the Dothraki or later or at that time, the Klingons as they uh, developed in the next generation, which was about that time. Oh, yeah, true. The and, very uh, dawn of it. Margaret Weiss was very involved with the Klingon uh, charities back then. What? Uh, oh, yeah, she'd dress up. Oh, yeah, I knew a lady who uh, made an amazing Klingon. Mm-hmm. She went to cons back in Lansing. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that was an interesting era. And when they released the rest of the world of Krin, I had forgotten about the other continents. Oh, yeah. Well, it, but in, in any sense, some of the... Uh, misgivings uh, people had, including myself, about the Mormonism in it uh, can be easily swept aside because they got rid of that right off the bat. The dis- discs of Michikal, I think they were called. Forgive me if I'm a little rusty in that. No, that, that were, is in fact their name, the Golden Discs of Michikal. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, that's uh, a direct reference to Mormonism. But, you know, it was it was easily just... It's a thing, and it's just as classic as anything else when you break I, it down. Yeah, I mean, let's face it... Uh, you know, your DM guide is chock full of artifact yep, items that are that, taken from all that, sorts of things. Yeah, popped out of history themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, no, the invulnerable coat of Arnd. You know, it's just like as if nobody had. Yeah, you know, so armor that would not let them be hurt. Sure. Yeah, I don't think they did anything that any other uh, author or game yeah. DM hasn't done before. So all those uh, criticisms aside. I think it's a wonderful world, and it's a lot of fun to play in. So if you can find the second edition uh, box set, Heroes of the Lance, get it. Uh, it's still floating around out there. The PDFs, I think, are, uh, are somewhere to be found. And, of course, uh, Sovereign Stone Press had some Dragonlance stuff, which you can find in various places. But uh, Dragonlance is well worth the uh, price of admission, I think. And uh, you know, I think D&D has benefited well from its time. Oh, yeah. It came out in the plus side of the ledger, okay? I mean, it all worked out. It all came out in the wash in the end. And not for the worse, because, I mean, we're still here now. You know, this... Yeah. Nobody can say, oh, well, that tanked the whole thing. That's that's how the game ended. (laughs) Clearly did not. Yeah, yeah, you you can't... uh... And, uh, you know, tell me of your dragonborn now. Uh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. So... Well, we hope you enjoyed our little uh, walk around the, the edges of Dragonlance and some of the things going on at the time. This is our retrospective on it. And, uh, of course, we have fond memories, but maybe you have something different to add to that. Maybe you like it a lot, and uh, we'd like to hear from you, and maybe you hated it, and we'd also like to hear from you. So, yeah, you both any... equally valid stances, I, you know, and I'm sure people have uh, absolutely legitimate reasons. Uh, yeah, Joe having... Richter, we're talking about you. <laughs> Just kidding, bud. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, we just, love you, man. We're just toying with you. No, uh, there are some legitimate complaints. That sure. I, I think we touched on a couple of them, but I, having DM'd it a long time ago, uh, I will always have a like warm, fuzzy spot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in my my chest cavity near the blackened lump of coal that substitutes as a heart, right in uh, between the other two blackened husks that is his lungs. <laughs> You are not wrong. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have any comments or questions, of course, you can direct them right to our Facebook page, The Dice is Screaming. Uh, ask for an invite if you haven't been invited. Uh, let us know what you think. And, of course, uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter and just give it to us straight in a direct message. Uh, yes. Me at Death Hand Gaming, that's D E T H A N D Gaming. 
and Magi Vox. All right. But until next time, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.